0: few announcements before we start this morning uh, one of them's I think already been posted up um, right after church today Jennifer Koch is going to be uh, uh, having a meeting about Sunday school probably next door Jennifer but right after, right after the service today and you may have seen an email uh, recently about uh, Matt doing a uh, uh, defensive tactics some defensive, excuse me, defensive tactics training, and there there was a thought that that was going to be today, but we think probably next week after the porters are back because it'll be at their house. And uh, I would just say watch the church email for that. Tomorrow evening, Monday evening, is the women's study at Kim's house, six thirty, right? Uh, Wednesday morning at six thirty is the men's study. Next door in the fellowship hall. And Wednesday evening, more uh, creation uh, training with Alpha Omega Institute. Is that what we're doing, Donaldo this this week again? Yeah, that's been fantastic. So uh, that's a lot more announcements than we usually have, but I wanted to get get them all. And then, of course, uh, the one I think you saw, is it still up there? No, it's not. Next week, uh, all church uh, potluck after church. You know, before we start in today, I, I'm sure you guys are following the news, but I think it'd be good for us to pray for the church in Ukraine and in Russia. You know, God has his people in both places. And there's a lot of turmoil in the world around us. We're, we're admonished by the word to hold up our brothers and sisters in the Lord around the world. So let's just uh, let's just join our hearts here for a minute and lift them up, shall we? Father, we count it such a great privilege to be able to unburden ourselves to you. And Lord, we're thinking this morning of, uh, of your people. Your people in, the, in churches in Ukraine, your people in Russia. Lord, we know that you have your people scattered over the face of the globe. And we pray for them, Lord, that you will undergird them. That you will give them strength, that you give them boldness, and that, Lord, the testimony that they might have would be that even in a time of war and turmoil, they experienced your peace, the peace that passes understanding. Be with them, Lord. Hold your people in the palm of your hand. Cover them with your love and your protection, we pray. Amen. Uh, this morning we're going to talk about um, three intricately related topics. I told Kyle this might not be like the most exciting topic in the world, but I think it's important. They, they're important ones. Uh, so if this thing has a title, it's it's uh, lending, borrowing, and debt. And uh, I just want everyone to know before I start that... Um, my my first caveat or my first confession is i'm not a financially uh sophisticated person nor do i have uh any any kind of uh financial uh education really other than god's word but that's what we're going to look at today all right so i'm not a financial advisor or anything like that there may even be people here uh Certainly in our congregation, maybe not here today, that know a lot more about this than I do. The next thing I want you to know is that if I say something that feels like an arrow that hit a direct bullseye, it wasn't because I knew anything about anybody's situation. Right? I don't, I don't know anything about anybody's lending, borrowing, debt, or anything else. But I think the, we're just going to look at the Word together. Um, I pledge to you that I'm not cherry-picking any scriptures. To support uh, any of my pet opinions, I, I really don't think I have any pet opinions. But I think this is important stuff, and I one of the reasons that I think it's so important is because when I look around and I see what I would call the Western Church, everyone understands what I mean. I don't mean the Wild West. I mean the Western, the Church in the Western world. Uh, I either have to conclude that a um, they don't know what the word says, by and large, on these subjects, or B, they've rationalized ignoring what the word has to say about these subjects, and and maybe it's maybe it's both of those. But uh, we're gonna we're gonna go through uh, some Old Testament. There's gonna be quite a bit of scripture here, so I'll, I'll uh, in the interest of time, I'll try to I'll try to keep moving, but stay with me if you can. We're going to be in both the Old Testament and the New Testament, and uh, you know we don't necessarily need to turn there right now. But everyone here understands, I think. Second Timothy three sixteen, all Scripture is inspired by God, and what beneficial for teaching, for rebuke, for correction, for training in righteousness. Um, We're going to tackle lending first. I'm separating lending from borrowing. And of course, borrowing is how debt comes about. But I just, but I think these two topics are actually handled a lot more differently in the word than, uh, than probably I realize until I dig deep. Um, I always find, I have one more comment before we dive in. I always find this to be the case. Anytime I'm preparing to speak on a certain topic, geez, it seems like two things happen, maybe three. One, I get real busy. It seems like there's a lot of tugs, uh, but almost invariably, I learn, see, or or have things revealed that I didn't know about that topic before, and that's certainly been the case here. The other one is, uh, I find that the Lord often tests us right in the very thing that we're studying. You guys ever see that? Like, if you want to do a deep dive on... On a particular topic, don't be surprised if uh, if circumstances in your life bring that thing right to the forefront. And uh, without going in, into any detail, uh, let's just say it's tax season. Uh, most of you know that. In fact, uh, you have a few deadlines coming up. Hopefully I don't need to remind you. Um, and because it's tax season, a couple of circumstances came up that just brought some of this uh, really close to home. Let's get into the Word. I want, to talk, I want to see what the Word has to say about lending. and uh, We're going to start back in the book of Exodus. Exodus chapter 22. Um, this is the first mention of lending in the Bible. By the way, I think you guys know, there's a, the Bible talks about money a lot. I'll take it on faith. Someone else counted them. What I, what I understand is probably over 2,300 verses in the Bible that have to do with money. It's an important topic. Our stewardship of it, the lending of it, the borrowing of it, important topics. We're going we're to start where the word starts on the topic of lending, which is Exodus chapter 22. And I want to go to verse 25. Exodus twenty-two, twenty-five. If you lend money to my people, to the poor among you, you are not to act as a creditor to him. You shall not charge him interest. There's, there's two or three important things embedded there. We're going to hear it repeated as we go on. If you lend money to my people, to the poor among you, you are not to act as a creditor. You shall not charge him interest. Let's go to uh, Leviticus chapter 25. Leviticus chapter 25. and We're going to start with verse 35. Now, in case a countryman of yours—that's a—that's a brother of yours—in case a countryman of yours becomes poor and his means with regard to you falter, then you are to sustain him like a stranger or a sojourner, that he may live with you. Do not take usurious interest. By the way, I'm in New American Standard. Your, your versions may have slightly different words. Do not take usurious interest from him, but revere your God. That your countrymen may live with you, you shall not give him your silver at interest, nor your food at gain. That should sound a little similar to what we read in. Uh... It's, it's what, it the mic didn't fall down. The uh... this thing came off of it. This, this is so that sounds are the p, the big p pops. See if I can get it to stay on there. Can you hear me all right? Yeah, sorta. Of? <laughs> <clears throat> this passage sounds a little bit like the one we read um, in Exodus, right? What are the key points? Who's, who, who are we to lend to? We lend to our brethren, sojourners and strangers. Specifically, ones that are in need—they're they're faltering. They're, they're in need of sustenance. And what's that other gig that's in there? Not at interest, not for gain. I shared this with—I uh, shared this with the women's, or excuse me, the men's study on Wednesday morning, uh, several weeks ago, and it was back when we were talking about tithe, tithes, and giving. And I will just tell you that we went back to one of these verses. Therese, Kyle, I don't know if Dennis, you may remember, we went to one of these. And I just commented to the group, uh, this has been a um, a strict uh, principle for Peg and I in, in any lending that we've done to fellow believers. Now the IRS, I'll just point out, I'm going to throw in a little bit of practical application here. The IRS takes a dim view of an interest-free loan. In fact, they don't understand that. They think that's crazy. And so uh, if they ever want to come see a loan instrument, they expect to see an interest rate on it. And the workaround for us has been, well, we'll put an interest rate on it, and then we'll gift you back the interest uh, at interval for us like once a year. And I'm not telling you any of this because I'm bragging about anything. I'm just telling you this is how, this is how we've applied this uh, for ourselves. as a practical application of it. You know, right while we're here in uh, Leviticus 25, before we go on, I just want to back up because there's kind of a summary statement a few verses ahead of this. It's verse 17. In this chapter of Leviticus, what's, be, what's being gone over all kinds of various rules and, and laws But I think this is a great one. So you shall not wrong one another. This is verse 17. But you shall fear your God for I am the Lord your God. Let's now go to uh, the 15th chapter of Deuteronomy. By the way, I told you I'm not cherry picking. I think if you get out the concordance and you start moving through the Bible and looking at lending specifically, uh, we're going through it in the order that they come up, Dennis. And if I probably should have put one more caveat up before I ever started, which is, man, if anybody thinks I misspeak or misinterpret something, please challenge me and please come correct me. Deuteronomy chapter 15. We're going to start with verse 6. And we're going to go through verse 11. For the Lord your God shall bless you as he has promised you, And you will lend to many nations, but you will not borrow. And you will rule over many nations, but they will not rule over you. If there is a poor man with you, one of your brothers, in any of your towns in your land, which the Lord your God is giving you, you shall not harden your heart nor close your hand from your poor brother, but you shall freely open your hand to him and shall generously lend him sufficient for his need in whatever he lacks. Beware... Lest there is a base thought in your heart, an evil thought, saying, the seventh year, the year of remission, is near, and your eye is hostile toward your poor brother, and you give him nothing, then he may cry to the Lord against you, and it will be a sin in you. You shall generously give to him, and your heart shall not be grieved when you give to him, because for this thing the Lord your God will bless you, in all your work and in all your undertakings. Now obviously giving and lending are being intermingled here and what is this thing about uh, don't have this base or evil thought in your heart saying the seventh year. See we're we're right in the first part of this chapter is about the Sabbath year and we're in the part of Mosaic Law where the rules about the Sabbath year a year of rest a year of remission and Jubilee where debts were forgiven, where uh, property rights reverted back. Um, What's being said here is, hey, if I went to Dennis and I said, "Uh, I'm in need, brother, and he said, well, next year's a Sabbath year, and uh, if I loan it to him now, (laughs) I'm not going to get paid back. (laughs) What, what, what the Lord is warning against here is, what's our heart motive, all right? What's our heart motive, and what's the, constant, what's the constant theme we're seeing here? This is primarily talking about lending and giving among brethren, countrymen. It's also talking about how it's to be done generously, and notice that the prohibition against interest is, keeps popping up everywhere we go here, all right? I find it interesting that lending, this topic of lending or borrowing doesn't come up until the topics of giving and buying and selling have all been established. Like, if it's a cash on the barrelhead transaction, Monty's buying something for me for 20 bucks, it's cash, it's a done deal. That's not what this is talking about. This is talking about lending or giving to people in need. And I hope you see. There's not, a real, there's not a real bright line drawn between lending and, and uh, giving. I want to I jump ahead to uh, Deuteronomy 23. Deuteronomy chapter 23, verse 19. You shall not charge interest to your countrymen. Again, that's your, your brother. Interest on money, food, or anything that may be Loaned at interest, and look at this: You may charge interest. I mean, in verse twenty: You may charge interest to a foreigner, but to your countrymen, your brother, you shall not charge interest. So that the Lord your God may bless you and all that you undertake in the land which you are about to enter and possess. Here's a here's a very important distinction. That's made in under the law. It is permissible to charge interest or usury outside of the brotherhood. And uh, as I said at the onset, there are probably people here that understand the world of finance and lending a lot better than I do. Uh, I've tried to make it my my uh, my best effort to avoid avoid dealing with them any more than I've had to. But certainly, certainly we have to. And I know that. Almost everyone here has in some form or another. I want to go to uh, Proverbs 19. We're just progressing through in the order that the scriptures come up. Proverbs 19. Actually, you know what? This one wasn't on my list, but I want to stop at Psalm 15 on the way to there, if that's all right. I love this psalm. We heard, we heard once of a pastor who, who preached a uh, funeral service over a guy and he stood up and he said, I, I hoped I would live long enough to be able to preach Psalm 15 over someone's funeral service. And he said, this is the guy right here. All right. I wasn't at that funeral. I heard about it. And, I, and my prayer would be, Lord, I sure hope Psalm 15 is a testimony of my life. It's all about, it's all about being upright. It's all about uh, our behavior, our treatment of one another. But especially down in verse 5, I just want to point this out. Psalm 15, verse 5. He does not put out his money at interest, nor does he take a bribe against the innocent. This is, a, this is Psalm 15 is recounting you don't backstab. You don't backbite. You don't take up a reproach. You're, you're honest and upright in your dealings, etc. And look at this important point in Psalm uh, fifteen five. Don't put out your money to usury. Okay, now on to Proverbs. Proverbs nineteen. I found this find this verse to be Interesting and challenging. Proverbs 19, verse 17. He who is gracious to a poor man lends to the Lord. And he, the Lord, will repay him for his good deed. He who is gracious to a poor man lends to the Lord. Actually, this is taking it... I think, to a different level, a different perspective. And, and it reminds me of what Jesus said in, uh, in uh, Matthew 25. Let's go let's over to Matthew 25. Jesus is talking about the judgment. I want to read starting in about verse 34. Matthew 25, verse 34. Then the king will say to those on his right, Come, you who are blessed by my father inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. For I was hungry and you gave me something to eat. I was thirsty you gave me drink. I was a stranger and you invited me in. Naked and you clothed me. I was sick and you visited me. I was in prison and you came to me. Then the righteous will answer him saying Lord when did we see you hungry and feed you or thirsty and give you drink? And when did we see you a stranger and invite you in? Or naked and clothe you? And when did we see you sick or in prison and come to you? And the king will answer and say to them, Truly I say to you, to the extent that you did it to one of these brothers of mine, even the least of them, you did it to me. Why do I go to Matthew 25 from, from Proverbs 19? Because I think when it says, For gracious to the poor, we're lending to the Lord. That's the very same principle Jesus is talking about here in Matthew 25 in the judgment. We touched this verse a few weeks ago. I just want to go back to it quickly because, again, what are we trying to capture here? What does the word say about lending? I'm not skimming. I'm not cherry picking. I'm going through and saying, what does God's word say about lending? I think it's important for us just to understand it. Matthew chapter five, verse forty-two. This is the end of the uh, toward the end of the Sermon on the Mount. Well, it's about the middle of the Sermon on the Mount, actually. Matthew 5, 42, it's very short. Give to him who asks of you, and do not turn away from him who wants to borrow from you. We talked about this in light of giving rather than lending a few weeks ago. It's an important passage. Let's look in Luke's Gospel, at chapter 6. Gospel of Luke, chapter 6 starting with verse 34. And if you lend to those from whom you expect to receive, what credit is that to you? Even sinners lend to sinners in order to receive back the same amount. Love your enemies, do good, and lend, expecting nothing in return, and your reward will be great, and you will be sons of the Most High, for he himself is kind to ungrateful and evil men. There's a lot there. Let's summarize. What does the word say about lending? What are the principles? We understand the principles that are set forth in the Old Testament are a foreshadowing of the New Testament. Amen? And where where under the Old Testament the circumcision was physical, under the New Testament... The circumcision is here. That's the expectation. We talk about this all the time. How the commandments were taken to a new level. It was, it was no longer just you simply do one or the other. Jesus said, no, it's your heart. It's your heart, it's your heart, it's your heart we're after. The same is true in, the same is true in lending and giving. We can summarize about lending, I think. It was intended to be to poor. I can't find any reference to lending to wealthy people. It's intended to be to poor people. It's intended to be to people that have genuine real need. And you can probably guess where I'm going with that pretty soon. Um, It is important to understand this. Neither lending nor borrowing are condemned. In fact, I would say lending is commanded and then borrowing just has some cautions with it. We're going to look at we're going to look at borrowing s- separately from lending here in a minute. But all these statutes about lending, they underscore being generous, being gracious, being compassionate, and not doing it with self-interest, not doing it for gain. I mean that word said even you don't even you don't even mark up the value of food if you were uh lending food to your brother all right everybody clear i want to I now we're gonna, now we're going to go back and look at borrowing we we looked at lending now we're going to look look at borrowing separately and we're going to go right back i think to uh, uh Deuteronomy 15 because we read this verse but we didn't emphasize it i want to it's it's really the first mention of borrowing in the bible Deuteronomy 15, verse 6. For the Lord your God shall bless you as he promised you, and you, shall, you will lend to many nations, and you will not borrow. And you will rule over many nations, but they will not rule over you. This may seem a very odd place for me to interject this, but I'm just going to plunk it in right here. Um, I do not know how lenders that specialize in in financing churches and missions justify what they do. Nor do I understand how churches, by and large, and they do, engage in corporate debt. Now, you may say, hey, you quit preaching and went to metal and now um, <laughs> but we're looking at what God's word says. Those aren't my words. I do not I literally do not understand how in light of God's word that type of thing goes on. I have an opinion about it, which is simply this the, the methods and ways of the world have been adopted a high degree, and grafted into church doings in a way that God never intended for them to be. In fact, I think we're cautioned against it. And of course, any of you who are, you know have been around here, you understand uh, this church. Praise God is debt-free, <laughs> and I'm man. I'm thrilled about that. And in fact. Uh, Maybe I'll stop just short of saying it would be over my dead body that we would ever engage in undertaking any debt. All right? I believe we shouldn't puff ourselves up about it. We should just be grateful and say, God, you're faithful. Your promises are true. And we are undeserving recipients of your sovereign grace and blessing. Amen? Amen. Psalm thirty seven twenty-one. We're getting tired of thumbing here. Psalm thirty-seven twenty-one. Remember, we're, now we're done with lending for a minute. We'll come back to it. And we are in borrowing. The wicked borrows and does not pay back. But the righteous is gracious and gives. Let's look at Ecclesiastes chapter 5 verse 5. Same theme. It is better that you should not vow than that you should vow and not pay. What does it mean, vow? Well, when we, when we borrow money, we make a promise, don't we? Most of the time, we have to make a promise about repayment. That's why they had you sign at the bottom, right, Stephanie? That's what. That's why you're, you're signing and dating because you're you're pledging something, you're vowing something. Proverbs 22.7 seven. I know this verse is familiar at least to some because I hear, I've heard it quoted recently. Justin, <laughs> Proverbs twenty-two. Verse 7, the rich rules over the poor, and the borrower becomes the lender's slave. That making of a vow, that signing of a pledge, is a form of servitude, don't ever doubt it. And I can scarcely imagine there's anyone under the sound of my voice, except maybe for these younger folks here. That haven't uh, touched on this in some way, shape, or form in your life, and I don't know. And I don't know where you stand in this right now, but I can, but I can guarantee you that any time I had a debt obligation, it followed me around like a dark cloud. <laughs> They're just—it's just there, and it a—it's ultimately some form of distraction from other things that you're doing. But you just know it's there. Like, I, I have to deal with this. I have, to t- I have to take care of this thing. Those are the only scriptures we're going to look at with regard to borrowing. But what's our takeaway? What's the summary about borrowing? Well, first of all, it's not a sin to borrow. But there are certainly some cautions associated with it, right? It's not a sin. When we borrow, borrowing creates an obligation. And that obligation is really a form of servitude because we put someone in a position, we have an obligation to pay them back, right? And I think the word's pretty clear on this, it's wicked to borrow and not repay. I'm not going to dive into, you know, can believers go bankrupt or anything else? I'm I'm not even going there right now. But, But there are people who borrow with no intent to repay. Uh... I've made loans to a couple of them, <laughs> as my wife can probably attest. They had no intent of repaying. And what the Word's saying is, that's sin. That's evil. If, we, if we're borrowing, it's our obligation to repay it. Okay. What did God really care about? What has He always cared about? What does He care about for each of us right now? I think our heart. He cares about our heart condition. And I want to move just beyond what did Exodus or Leviticus or Deuteronomy, what was said about this under Mosaic law, maybe even what did Solomon say about it, what did David say about it in the Psalms, what did Jesus say about it. Ultimately, these are matters of the heart, and I think when God laid down those initial rules, why? Because he wanted to protect people's, he wanted to protect people's hearts, and he wanted to warn them: don't let don't let this thing interfere with your relationship with your brothers. Don't let your don't let this get in the way of your relationship with your countrymen. And certainly don't let this become a matter of shame for my people. All right? My people Israel. And I think everyone here understands. Israel is a shadow of what? Israel came out of bondage in Egypt to the promise. We came out of bondage of sin. To new covenant. Amen? It's what how Israel was is a shadow, a foreshadowing of of us today and, and the church. I think here's the nub. What's the motive behind lending? Well, it better, be, it better be generosity. It better be gracious. It better be lending, and I, again, I'm talking about within the body. It better be lending that doesn't even necessarily have a, an idea that this must be repaid. It's, a, it's gracious, all right? Now, what about borrowing? Well, I think for needy to borrow and that's clearly what was set forth is one thing but when we but when we say okay well outside of God's people what does this look like and I fear maybe inside God's people as well what is the motive behind borrowing what's the motive don't quite have enough to eat. don't quite have enough to wear, or was the motive? Don't quite have enough to go on the vacation that we really wanted to go on. Don't quite have enough to buy the new pair of side by sides and the trailer, or whatever. Please don't misunderstand me. I'm not condemning. I'm not condemning any of those things, but let's let's do a little history lesson, real quick. Does everyone understand that? Advertising and marketing, that goes back a long ways in human history. But it really started to crank up more recently. I think the first time that you started seeing, let's say, printed copy of advertisements, well, that's like maybe the earliest one, Civil War, mid-1800s. And by the time we get into the late 1800s, well, it's starting to happen more. World War One, which was the 19-teens, was the beginning of what we call the consumer age, where people no longer wore and used and ate things that were either grown or made very close to where they lived. You know, Before that, you went to the town cobbler to have your shoes made. After that, you went to the Sears catalog to order your shoes. Now, I'm not... I'm not saying any one of those is any better than the other. But what started to happen with the consumer economy and it really it really got its legs in during World War I is uh people people became more and more influenced let's just say by advertising. And I think the the uh culmination of it, if you will, really started in uh Actually, in my lifetime, I mean, I'm old enough to remember this. When ads started to change, say, in the 1960s, Uh, let's see, is there anybody else here that old? (laughs) Before that, it's just like, we're just going to put it out there, for the most part. But the psychologists got involved in the advertising business. And they know to make this work, we're going to take the following approaches. And I'm just going to stand here today and tell you, most of the advertising, not all, but a very big percentage of advertising that we're exposed to, is what? It's designed to tell you why you need the thing you don't have. And what is, and what is, what is wanting the thing you don't have? Coveting. <laughs> That's what it is. That's what it is, pure and simple. And advertising, and it, you know, you may say, yes, yeah, Steve, I've been victim to it. It's, if you haven't been victim to it, you've at least watched it happen. The, the consumer didn't even have the idea in their head necessarily until what? If you drink this drink, you're going to be the life of the party. If you drive this kind of car, Beautiful women are going to all of a sudden think you're attractive and powerful. If you wear these kinds of shoes, you're going to be able to jump as far as Michael Jordan or whatever. You, You guys know it. You've seen it. And it's very insidious because the psychologists understand a few things. They understand that for kids, up until about age eight, it is difficult for kids to make a distinction between... Things that are real and things that are illusions or imaginary. All right. Now, hopefully, I think I think in this body, I think we're doing better with the eight-year-olds than that. I'll just say, and I'm grateful for it. But but as our but as our children come along, I mean, think about it. At the beginning, they don't know the difference between something that's smoke and mirrors and something that's genuine, and. And you're kidding yourself if you don't understand that a lot of what's going on in the world of advertising and marketing is aimed at them because they know parents will spend about anything or do about anything to give their kids the thing that they think their kid needs or wants, so they target that. Now again, I'm not throwing out the baby with the bathwater, no pun intended, and I'm not standing up here saying, all advertising, all marketing is bad. That's not true. That's not true. Many times, how, how, would we, how would someone know that we had a service to offer? How would someone know that we had a product to offer them unless we have a way of, of disseminating that word? I'm not condemning that. I am condemning because the word condemns. Borrowing and indenturing ourselves to debt because we coveted something, because we're dissatisfied, because we're discontent. You know, the word has a lot to say about contentment. Let's look at a couple passages. Let's look at Hebrews thirteen five. And I know for most of you, this, this is not, these are not scriptures you're unfamiliar with. Some of them you may even have committed to memory. Hebrews 13.5 Let your character be free from the love of money being content with what you have for he himself has said I will never desert you nor will I ever forsake you. Being content with what you have. Just a few pages later Let's so look over in James. James 4. James 4 verse 3. There's a bunch of cautions here. That's what's in, that's what's in this uh, chapter of James. You ask and do not receive because you ask with what? Wrong motives so that you may spend it on your pleasures. Again, I don't want anyone to misunderstand what I'm saying. Does God does God um, deny us pleasures? Heavens no. No, he gives us he gives us the desires of our hearts many times. But what is he really after? Where is your heart? What's the motive behind? What's the motive behind you want to trot down and take a uh, you know a uh, equity loan out on your house? What, what was the thing that someone dangled in front of you that tempted you to go uh, extend the, maybe the bondage you were already in? 1 Timothy chapter 6. 1 Timothy 6, starting with verse 6. But godliness actually is a means of great gain when accompanied by contentment. For we brought nothing into the world, so we cannot take anything out of it either. And if we have food and covering with these, we shall be content. But those who want to get rich, all into temptation and a snare and many... Foolish and harmful desires which plunge men into ruin and destruction. And you know the rest of it. It is not a sin to be rich. It is a sin to love money. It is a sin when our heart is stolen away from what it should be focused on, which is doing the Father's will. Living our lives out to bring glory to Him. Amen? This discontentment is is why uh, most advertising and marketing works really well they I mean face it they do it because it works it 's a huge industry i think I think I read one point two trillion annually worldwide and the and the biggest chunk of that is spent in the United states and I think it 's safe to say that the United States is probably the most uh, Affluent and the most discontent. All in the same breath. Affluence does not bring contentment. In fact, I think we see in the word here, quite the opposite is generally the case. You know, there have been several studies done where they go and they they ask people, this is Americans now, uh, how much annual income do you think you would need to live the American dream. And you know what the answer is? About twice as much as I'm making right now. That's the consistent answer. If you ask someone that's making $25,000 a year, they think if they could make fifty, dollars they could live the American dream. If you find someone that's making fifty, dollars they think if they're making $100,000, they could live the American dream. And if they're making $100,000, they think they need about two hundred. dollars to... Now what? Think about that. It's rooted in it's rooted in discontentment, isn't it? Really. It's rooted in a chasing after something that there's a belief that it will satisfy. It really won't satisfy. You know all these things are they're corruptions of the difference between needs. And wants. And I know uh, Nate's talked about this or at least brought it up sometime fairly recently. Needs and wants get mixed together, they get conflated, they get confused, even in our vocabulary, and I'm afraid sometimes in our hearts. Things that we say we need, what we really mean is we want, because our needs are. What did Jesus say? Food and raiment, food and clothing, that's basically the bottom line. And after that, it's God's sovereign gift. It's God's sovereign blessing to us. How do those needs get turned into wants? Or those wants get turned into needs, I should say. Uh, from the encouragement that we're bombarded with all the time. I read that the average person is exposed to about 3,000 advertisements per day. 3,000 per day. Now, here's part of the reason why, all right? You guys know that. You can't jump on here to look at anything without being barraged. And, Dennis, it's being tuned to you because they know what you look up. So they, so they say, this guy seems to, he likes to see ads about woodworking. stuff. He likes to see stuff about this. He likes to see hunting stuff. He likes to see fishing stuff, whatever. This is the this strange thing. And, uh, and this, isn't, uh, this isn't coming from any Christian site. This is coming from people who do advertising. All right, About 80% of the advertising you're exposed to, you don't know it's advertising. So out of that 3,000 a day, and my prayer is that that's not even remotely true for us. It shouldn't be. But if it was, about 2,400 of them weren't a blatant advertisement. it's something being fed in, all right? It's something they just got the Coca-Cola image in the picture of another thing that was happening. They just if you like Coca-Cola, hey, knock yourself out. I this isn't against Coca-Cola. But I'm saying the suggestion is there? And believe me, they they uh, study human mind, human desires, and human longings, and what it takes to trigger what it takes to trigger our minds. This is why we have to be so so careful about what we expose ourselves to. Imagine that three thousand a day, and eighty percent of them aren't even really recognizable as advertisements. Those of you who have. Children, guard your children's minds and hearts. There is a giant push for their hearts and minds to be steered certain directions. And rarely is it this direction, right? Something, it's something completely different than that. You know, there is a sensory appeal that. I think we're wired with and it's part of what we have to we have to control it's part of what we have to discipline most of the time you guys you guys know how the ads work I'm gonna show show you a big old juicy cheeseburger with onion rings or whatever and you're just like man I can almost taste that thing you know sorry Brenda when she reads this or when she hears this uh, maybe I should say whole grain bread um, instead of a juicy cheeseburger. But you know what I'm saying? There's a there's a visual uh, like, man, this thing means my mouth water. Uh, this thing is gorgeous to look at. Do you know that's that's so? That's always there. And I think the other thing that's always there is the idea that. There's going to be some sort of fulfillment associated with this thing if I do it. We've been there so many times, but let's just jump back. Not this morning, I mean. Everybody knows this. Go clear back to Genesis. Go clear back to the third chapter. Genesis 3.6 When the woman saw that the tree was good for food... And that it was a delight to the eyes. And that the tree was desirable to make one wise. Fulfill your true self. There's always a a lure of self-fulfillment involved in these things. You know what? We just have to be, we have to understand that. Because we're bombarded with the idea all the time. First of all, You deserve it. But second of all, you're just not really going to achieve your full potential unless you wear Nike shoes. (laughs) Or unless you fill in the blank. Fill in the blank. What's the allure? It's the same allure. It's always the same allure. I'm not suggesting that I think people here don't know it. I just think we have to be reminded of it because we are... Surrounded by it all the time. And and as parents, or in our case, grandparents, it is our obligation before the Lord to steward those kids, their hearts and minds, train them in righteousness, and show them, teach them how to not be deceived and swept along with things that have this allure, all right? And for ourselves, because for the most time, I mean, do we even say it do we even say it in conversation? Well, you know, we just like to see this person achieve their full potential. What we really mean, what we really ought to mean is we just like to see this person's life bring the glory to God that God deserves from this person's life. Amen, not not for their own sake for the sake of God who created them and for the sake of Jesus who died and shed his blood voluntarily for them you may say hey Steve it sounds like you're condemning all kinds of things I'm not, I'm not trying to I don't want this to come across sounding wrong. I don't want anybody to say, I don't want Justin to think, man, I need to go retract that advertisement for my business. That one in the yellow pages. I got to eat that out. No, 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 it's not that. It's not that at all. And I want it clear. Lending and borrowing in the world system is not innately sinful. I think the Word is pretty clear about it. But the Word's pretty clear about this, too. Being discontented is sinful. Covetousness is sinful. That's right there in the Ten Commandments. And what is it other than wanting something we don't have? It's that simple. And being led along in temptation because we allow our hearts to crave the thing we don't have is dangerously sinful and destructive. You've all been very patient. Thanks for bearing with me. I I just want to say a couple things and then we'll move to communion. Individually and as a church. Let's be generous and gracious in lending. Amen. Not not weighing how much we think someone deserves it, but just honoring God. <laughs> Let's be extremely cautious in borrowing. Let's be content. Let's be content and bless God for what he's done. Let's honor the Lord. Let's be rich toward the Lord and be a lot more vigilant about our stewardship before the Lord and our credit rating. Amen. Our credit rating doesn't mean anything eternally. Our stewardship before the Lord means everything eternally. Thank you for your patience. As I said, if anyone thinks that uh, they need to adjust my understanding on anything i am all ears i invite it this is a sober topic i think it's just critically important because of the day and age we live in cuz we're surrounded by this stuff amen and god and god wants us to be pure and unstained by the world